You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 266. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Today's episode is sponsored by my newest obsession, which you've probably seen me talk about here or over on Instagram during my morning alignment rituals for Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic has a variety of products that are super mushroom-infused products that help you to live your best life and also enjoy your coffees, teas, and elixirs along the way. I love personally their mushroom coffee with cordyceps and their mushroom hot cacao mix. Those two combined make me so very, very happy. In fact, I've seen a lot of other lively listeners try this combination and make their own mochas as well. And one of the things I love about this product so much is that there are no jitters, no crash, no stomach issues, which are usually the reasons I don't drink regular coffee and it has half the caffeine, which means for me, I tend to just drink twice as much, but that's just me. If you want to try this out, again, I'd recommend using the Mushroom Cordyceps coffee along with the Mushroom Hot Cacao Mix. You can go to foursigmatic.com slash lively to try them out and then use the code lively to get 15% off. In addition, this episode is also sponsored by Audible. I'm very excited for Audible to be a sponsor for this episode because it matches perfectly with our subject today. If you want to listen to your books the way you listen to your podcast, please check out Audible. I love using it especially for specific books, which are even better to listen to than they are to read. My two recommendations are, of course, The Law of Attraction by Jerry and Esther Hicks. So go check that one out. I love it because it's recordings with Abraham in the very early days. It might sound a little bit weirder than their YouTube, but it's put together in such a cohesive and powerful way that I think it lays things out far better when you're first getting into Law of Attraction than just diving into the mammoth archive of Abraham Hicks videos on YouTube alone. Then, of course, if you've already read that one, I would also recommend Journey of Souls. Journey of Souls, I'm not going to say too much about it. I'll just say if you're open to trying to open your mind to what happens after we die and you want to hear about it from a collection of 30 years of regressions through hypnotherapy, this is the book for you. This has changed my life and perception on life besides law of attraction the most in the last few years, and I highly recommend it. If you want to give either of these books a try, along with a 30-day free trial, please head over to audible.com slash lively or text lively to 500-500. I hope you love them as much as I do, or of course, just use the code for whatever book feels right for you. Now let's move on. Today, I am back in Sydney after going away this weekend to Brisbane for the Soulpreneurs Conference and just to check out Brizzy in general. As I'm here back in the house and getting things settled here, I'm also teaching Flow with Intention Module 3 and getting some new things rolling for a new project I'm working on in June. And today on the show, I'm super excited because we are doing an LOA Q&A with an old-time guest of The Lively Show from earlier seasons, Sherry Petersick of Young House Love. Sherry and John came on the show, and actually that episode they were last on was the number one downloaded show of The Lively Show of all time. And I'm excited to have Sherry on today because she's pretty overall new to Law of Attraction. So our conversation is excellent for anyone else. It's also kind of new to LOA and also for those that are also interested in sharing the Law of Attraction to people who may be new to it. So there's a lot 
lot of discussion that we go into around why isn't everyone millionaires if this is really true? Like if everyone's thinking about money, why aren't there more millionaires? We'll discuss why that's the case and also share how the law of attraction has played out in the blogging career of Sherry and John in many different facets as well. It's a really fascinating conversation. Let's go to the show. Sherry, thank you for coming on the show again. Of course. I like to chat with you. I know. The last time I was speaking with you, I was in a closet sitting on a dog crate that I had just moved into the house in Michigan. Now I'm sitting in Sydney, Australia, also still, again, in the closet sitting on the ground. So... Oh, I didn't know you were in a closet again. John said, remind her when you talked to her that last time she was in a closet, but it's comforting to know you're still in a closet. (laughs) I'm still in a closet. It's like that song, Trapped in the Closet. You and R. Kelly. Yeah, me and R. Kelly. Okay, Trapped in the Closet, but I'm so excited. First of all, may I also say that other episode, the first episode you guys did, I believe is still to date the number one downloaded show of the Lively Show of all time. No way, really? Yeah. So thank you for that. That was an epic episode. But let's, for those who don't know who I'm talking to, why don't we tell people how you got to where you are? Let's see. It's a complicated thing. I don't think our parents even understand what we do. We started a blog back in 2007, and you know now it's 2018, so it was over 10 years ago, and it was before blogs were really a thing, and it was a home improvement blog. We were renovating our kitchen, and both John, my husband, and I were writing as like sort of he said, she said point of view. Like John would talk about one thing and then I would talk about what was frustrating me and he would weigh in on what he thought. And so I think it was kind of different in that time to hear from both a husband and a wife. And at that time, I think frugal decorating was perfect. It was like right place, right time. Because not only were we cheap and in our first house and trying to make things nice without spending a lot, but I think after the recession and all this stuff going on in housing, 2007 was like the time to be talking about that. And so our website grew really quickly with very little effort on our part. We didn't pay for advertising or try to spread the word. We landed like the cover of a magazine and we won a contest for blogging. And we just sort of like, it went from nobody but grandma reading to millions of people reading. In our heyday, we had around 7 million hits a month, which is crazy. But it was amazing because I think what we started the blog for was like one, a place to vent because it actually helps you when you write down what's annoying you. You feel like you're like letting it go. And the second reason was I think we were really looking for a community of like-minded people. You know, our best friends weren't necessarily really into renovations or DIY and they weren't buying these, you know, beat up old houses And we needed people to talk to about that. And so starting the blog was great because you heard from someone else who was like, yes, my bathtub is also clogged. Let's figure out how we can fix this MacGyver style. You know, (laughs) it was like finding our group of people and it has been amazing and how it grew. And we wrote two books and we designed products that were in Target. And like, it just has been a crazy ride. And in 2004, we took a break for like a year And then we came back in a very uh, different capacity. At least it feels different to us because after a complete year off, we now share less and we don't really talk about our children. It's sort of like we share deeply in some areas, but other areas are just for ourselves. And it feels like a really healthy, sustainable balance, which is nice because we don't worry that we're going to like burn out and disappear again. I love that. And actually, that's when you came back on was the big episode to say what has happened since you left. That was the episode of the show you came to talk about. So that is so cool to see you guys come back, but find the boundaries that work for you in terms of, yeah, how you're sharing and and what works for you. That's awesome. So now we're going to change the subject entirely. We're not going to talk about grout. 
We're not going to talk about cement. We're not going to talk about paint or pretty things. I know you're loving blush pink like I am. You're doing the beach house in pink in my house here. I'm calling it the womb palace because it's all pink. I'm like, it looks like a womb. But what we're going to talk about is something that for people listening or also maybe even for you, Sherry, might be new. The law of attraction. When I say the words law of attraction, what immediately jumps up in your mind? So I think of Oprah because I love, love, love Oprah, like everyone else, like who doesn't love Oprah? And I remember her talking about it and that book, The Secret. And I know enough about you that you have said like, no, no, The Secret seems very like superficial and that's not really deeply how you understand the law of attraction. But I guess I would, if you were like, you're on Jeopardy, describe the law of attraction, I would say, isn't it like believing in something so strongly that you make it happen? Okay, that is a great, wonderful way of describing it. Now, here's a question. What's your feeling about it? Now, you've heard me talk about it, but maybe even before you've heard me talk about it, what was your feeling or more of like a judgment? Was it really cool and cutting edge? Was it weird for like strange people? What was the associations you had with the concept? Maybe before I started talking about it. I think initially I was, I'm like a whole poker. So I was like, oh, so if you just sit there and say like, I'm a millionaire, then like you're going to be a, I just thought like, well, then why isn't everyone a millionaire? Cause like nobody's sitting around thinking I don't want to be rich. Everyone wants to be rich. Everyone wants to have a comfortable, happy, wonderful life. You know, that was my first thought. And then my second thought was, but I do inherently believe that when you look on the bright side and you are a positive person, like I have my friends who are super, super positive, And I have my friends who are just very like guarded and almost sarcastic to the point where they're like, of course, this terrible thing would happen to me. And I do see their lives taking different paths. Like positive people seem to, I don't know if they're more outgoing or if they believe in themselves more and maybe it's self-fulfilling, but they seem to go for it and kind of have more career opportunities and maybe meet more people and fall in love more easily. Like they're less guarded. Yeah. You're blocking it basically, right? So what they're saying and also their actions, but really this is why I want to have these conversations with people because it brings up such fun co-creative experiences to throw an Abraham term in there. So we get to create something new together, right? So I want you to be as honest like you just did as possible because out of this, we can pull through some of the associations people have and come to new realizations and, and points that maybe I haven't even shared on the show. So let's go into, well, if it's that easy, <laughs> wouldn't everyone be a millionaire, right? So that feeling is completely valid. And you're right. That makes it feel very hard to believe that if it's what you think and you get what you think about, then if they're, you know, wanting it, that they're, you know, if they don't have it, how's that possibly working, right? It's got to be flawed in some way. What it is, is not directly what you think about it's directly how you feel about the subject. Does that make sense? Got it. So if you feel like it's dirty money or like you want to be a starving artist because like being a rich artist is somehow not the real deal. Yes. And actually in class, I have over a thousand people now in Flow With Intention. And I have taught this for, this is probably my fourth round of teaching it. I can tell you, and I've had to face this myself on different levels of my own abundance rising, that when people start to apply this from the feeling level, which we're going to go back to, so we're going to get back to that point about it's what you feel about the subject, not what you think directly about it. So you can think 
I want to be a millionaire. But if you feel broke <laughs> and you feel more broke, it's your feeling on the subject that's actually attracting. Oh, I see what you're saying. So you could even feel good about money and not have a weird block about money and like really want money and not secretly think money's dirty, but you could love money. But if you're like, oh, I have no money, I hate that I don't have any money, then that's just the self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes, you get what you feel about the subject. So if you feel fat, it's very hard to lose weight. And people that don't feel fat that have a hard time gaining weight, no matter what they eat, they feel thin and they feel like no matter what, they can't get to where they want to be, right? So these feelings more than the thoughts. Now, thoughts can trigger feelings, but they're not in and of themselves moving the needle, the needle, if you will, the gravity in this case. I want you to think, and this is, I know John's really into science. I want you to think about the law of attraction as a principle, like the law of gravity, okay? Now, the electromagnetic field, if he wants to like look at something that is attractive and like has some of this, it'd be a, one of the aspects to look at. And I actually really curious, I don't know the answer to this of why it is or isn't connected or if it is or isn't connected to the electromagnetic fields and the laws and principles associated with those. But I can give you a quick like little summary that like your thoughts happen mostly in your brain, right? So you receive thoughts mostly in your brain. Your brain has the most electrical power. Now, electrical power is like it's there, it's something, but the magnetic power of your heart and the magnetic field of your body, because your heart has most of the iron, because your blood has iron in it, so most of your blood congregates into the center where the blood is pumping, right? So it goes throughout your whole body, but that is the magnetic component. So your electromagnetic field pulses through the heart. So your electrical impulses of the brain, the thoughts you have, create some level of energy, but it's not as strong as the actual electromagnetic field that's created through the heart. So there's more power and energy being created through the heart and how it's pumping in that field. Now, when you create a thought, it's kind of like you're creating an order. Like you look at the menu at a restaurant and you're like, I want the cheeseburger. Okay, so you just say that. Now, there's no cheeseburger in the world. <laughs> you're just thinking about it, just like I want a million dollars. There's no actual cheeseburger or million dollars yet. You just tell the order to the waiter. Now, the waiter then goes to the chef and the chef starts creating your cheeseburger. And that's when the manifestation the, the development of what you want starts to happen, right? So he takes the order off the piece of paper, what the guy says to him, which is not physical at all, to put the patty and the burger bun and the sandwich together. When that starts to happen, that's the first manifestation. It's in the cheeseburger analogy, kind of the whole thing until you get it, you know, it's there. Now you just got to receive it. What happens in the brain is once it has the thought, the order gets sent to the hypothalamus and the hypothalamus prints out the neural peptide. Neural peptide is a fancy word for what your emotions are. So the chemicals of your emotions are created there and then they go through the bloodstream into your cells and activate your cells. So you have a thought, that thought creates an order for an emotion. So you have a thought and there's an associated emotion with it. The emotion order gets printed and created in the neural peptides and the hypothalamus. That then goes into the cells and activates the cells. Are you with me? Yes. Okay. So once the cells have this chemical, this emotional chemical, serotonin, you have two kids. Did you feel the oxytocin when you breastfed? I loved nursing, but everyone wants to punch me in the face when I say that. I had like the best experience. Why did you love it? 
I just felt so close to my babies. And I had like sort of bad birth with my daughter. I hear from so many women who are like, I felt like a warrior. I I was like emergency C-section with my daughter who like wasn't breathing. So it wasn't a wonderful experience. But when I nursed her, I felt so close. You know, I felt like we were one, like we were when I was pregnant. And I don't know, I just felt very connected to her because I think physically I felt the connection. Yes. And was that something that was happening, especially that feeling you were feeling mostly when you were breastfeeding, like in that moment, not before or after it as much? I mean, there probably, yeah, now that you say, I mean, there probably were moments where I felt my heart felt like it was bursting that had nothing to do with nursing. Like there were moments when she smiled at me or like said my name or, you know, like all the cute, you know, when my son did like the funniest, silliest thing with his sister, then my heart was like double exploding because I had the two children like interacting cutely. Yeah. I don't know what it is because when I talk to other moms, not everybody loves nursing, you know? And so that's so interesting to me. I don't know this and I'm not trying to make a big thing about breastfeeding, guys. (laughs) This is not my focus here. But what I remember hearing once and I am not studying this and I have never had children. So what I remember hearing is that oxytocin is released during breastfeeding to help create the bond between the mother and the child. Now, that may not be factually accurate anymore. Maybe I read that somewhere that was wrong. But if you had that feeling and if that fact actually is true, (laughs) that could be a reason that that feeling was happening. The cells were flooded your body cells were flooded with the chemical of oxytocin, which feels really great. Serotonin also usually feels really great. And there's like cortisol and adrenaline, all these other chemicals. But when they activate the cells, that's when the emotion becomes a feeling, a physical feeling when your heart starts racing because you're excited about the, you know, roller coaster or when your heart starts racing because you're terrified, right? Those experiences when the heart is racing, the sweat is pouring out of us, when our eyes dilate, when we start crying. By the way, your tears have different chemical structures when you're crying for different reasons. Like the tears from your onion cry are different than your tears from grief, for example. They've actually studied this and it's magical. But anyways, this is such an amazing thing that we're totally largely unaware of. But here's the idea, the physical feelings, the first manifestation. It's the first physical reality of what the law of attraction is bringing you, right? So it's not your thought. The thought has some energy, but really it's just kind of like the person placing the order on the menu of chemicals that your hypothalamus is going to pump out and then activate your cells. So once you're feeling a state of being, that's the first manifestation. So someone could say, I want a million dollars, but if their body is pumping out stress, cortisol, and adrenaline because they are broke and there's no money left and they're not sure what they're going to do, so they're sweating by the, the vibration of their body and their body is actually activated by the hormones of stress or the chemicals of this neuropeptides of stress, they're not at the vibration of getting the million dollars. Because if you had a million dollars, how would you feel, Sherry? I mean, you would not be stressed. (laughs) I mean, more money, more problems. (laughs) You would not be stressed. You'd feel great, right? Right. But yeah, you could be stressed. There are stressed people that have a lot of money. But if this person assumes that with a lot of money, they wouldn't be stressed, then they're totally out of the ballpark of actually attracting it because it's the feeling not the thought that is doing the attraction. And I actually think that's very powerful. It's very hard to prove the law of attraction right now in terms of a you know person's life and this actually working because we don't have a way right now, and I'm just saying it's right now, to actually measure 
in a like practical sense, right? Like we have diabetics that can do the blood prick to check their insulin levels. We don't have the law of attraction version of that. We're like, we're like going to check out like what the chemical composition. I'm sure the doctors at a hospital with someone could probably track their serotonin levels and their cortisol levels and all these different levels of their hormones. But there's no practical way for people to go around in like their afternoon and check where their emotion state is at and then go observe what happens. You know, there's no way to actually practically do that in our current situation. So there's no practical way for people to really know what they're feeling. And I actually say that because I've had many people in the class going, I finally got into alignment. This woman sat there on the call with me last year and said, you know, Jess, I always assumed I was a pretty happy person. I have two kids. I have a business and, you know, I have a husband. I have a pretty good life. And so I always assumed I was pretty happy. And then she's like, Jess, I did the first module and I got into alignment and I realized I had to question everything I believed about who I was. Because when I said to myself, I'm a pretty happy person, and then I actually got into the state of feeling that you are actually teaching, she realized that what she was calling happiness before her entire life was nowhere near the level of joy and alignment that she was feeling in the class. And so often people are not aware. And I can say this as someone who studied this in myself. I have been so sometimes surprised and disappointed that I not like disappointed, like let's go create law of attraction about it. Let's go like have a big pity party. But the idea of like, wow, there's actually a lot of internal tension I'm largely or have been largely unaware of. And it's only in this work that I've actually had a clear understanding of where my emotional state really is because we're not taught to truly tap into our emotions. When you have little kids at Target having a meltdown, you try to shut them up and get them to not have the meltdown. You try to shut down the emotional outbursts when the people are little and try to get them to be quiet and behave because we want to be good people and we don't want to annoy everyone else at Target. But the child at a young age learns to avoid their feelings. And so as adults, we really have, and I think especially for men in society, we've allowed them anger as a societal standard. This is a huge generalization, but anger is generally an acceptable thing for a guy, but actual feelings of grief or heartache or shame or guilt, like those things are even, I think, even more layered and nuanced for men to actually experience and feel in our society standards as we were younger. I think it's changing now. But all of this to say, this is like a long, long tangent, but can you now kind of think about the people, like why everyone's not millionaires? Do you think everybody's feeling the feelings they would feel if they were millionaires from the people in your experience of your life? Well, probably the more frustrated, desperate people are feeling the opposite feelings. And then maybe the positive friends who have that job interview and they believe they're going to ace it and they like go in there with a positive attitude, they probably are vibing the right way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Vibing the right way. So your cells are activated. Once they have the neurochemicals in there, they're locked in. They're actually activating the cell. Your cell is vibrating literally at the frequency of the emotion. My brain is weird. I'm about to just explain how weird my brain is to everyone. My one thought was, do you think someday in the future there would be some sort of vitamin you could take that puts you like your serotonin levels high so that you like get in that state without having effort into it? Well, I'm not sure exactly. I have literally no idea. I'm sure there's many experts listening to the show more than I about antidepressants, but 
I'm wondering if antidepressants have idea, like the serotonin reuptake inhibitors or whatever that thing is, does that try to do something along the lines of what you're describing? Now, we could probably evolve the technology quite a bit right? So wherever it is now, it's very hit or miss. It's like you have to figure out the dosing. People have to try it for a long time. Like right now, I'd say we're very rudimentary in any pharmaceutical formulation, especially for a general population and not just like someone that's closely monitored by a doctor. But it's something to think about. And also, another way of looking at it is, yeah, we could take a pill. And that's definitely how pharmaceuticals in the US would love to make the money off of that one, right? I know. I hate saying a pill because it's like, it shouldn't be medication. And it's such a like, you want a quick fix. But I keep thinking like, well, there's like an example would be someone taught me I was having trouble sleeping that if you drink tart cherry juice, there's some like amazing natural chemical and cherry juice that if you drink a little bit in the morning, a little bit at night, it regulates melatonin. So instead of taking drugs, you can take cherry juice and basically sleep well. And I'm like, I'm super woo woo. Like I love my apple cider vinegar. I love my coconut oil. I love now I love my cherry juice. And so I'm wondering like, wouldn't it be cool if we unlocked something that like, oh, when you have natural honey, it makes your serotonin levels higher. Or I've actually heard exercise does that. So I guess that's kind of like that. Yeah. Here's what I'm going to say about that. And you know what the beautiful answer is? The natural approach is so simple. Just get happy. For me, you know what my magic pill is? Crystal water. I have this water called Madame Dry, and it is sparkling spring water that's been infused with rose water and rose quartz crystals. And it set intentions under the full moon. Now, this is like the most woo-woo, magical, expensive water you've ever seen. And I love it. Now, does it have any actual chemical properties? You know, like a scientist will look at this under a microscope and say, well, this is why. No, you know what it is? I love it so much because it represents so many things that I love that it makes me happy when I drink it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's like placebo. And now the placebo is, you know what this is? The physician within. So when people are healed naturally by the own suggestion that this pill is going to work for them. The suggestion of that places the order in the body to actually create the effect that the drug is supposed to have. So that is the body healing itself and producing what's lacking within itself. So we have, I think, science in a normal human, not a scientific person's point of view necessarily, but in a normal human like you and I that's not into medicine, we'd say, oh, that's kind of that wacky, weird thing that kind of throws off the experiments, right? One way to look at it is like, yeah, that makes it hard for the doctors to figure out. But the other way to look at it is go, let's go study the people that are having this placebo effect, like this physician within that's healing them. Those people have got this within themselves. Now, do pharmaceuticals necessarily feel that it's exciting? Probably not that exciting because that means they don't actually have any necessary function, right? So they're not going to make money if people start healing themselves, which is part of an issue, I believe, in the system of medicine is looking at the large players that have large stake of money and lives and jobs. People are people. And there's a lot of people that have lives and families going to school and daycares and like supporting the system that are part of a system that is, I believe, overall to some level, genuinely trying to help. I think there's also some gray areas in that too. So I know I've talked to some doctors that have spoken about some 
regulations that have shifted for drugs. So like they can change the level that is deemed inappropriate or deemed needs medicine now, which can change arbitrarily, which is a little bit gray in hair. Like talking to him, he felt he was uncomfortable with some of the ways that they were shifting things based on drug policy. But all of that aside, I believe in the power of our bodies to heal themselves. But I also say that understanding that these humans we have in our society right now are largely asleep in terms of their awareness internally about their own states of being, feeling, and thinking. We are just trying to start getting people to meditate, to be self-aware of what's going on within themselves. So do I think this is going to be, everyone's going to be healing themselves right away? Hell no, I don't, because I don't believe that the average population is anywhere right now close to the self-awareness and the abilities with their consciousness to do the state changes that are required sustainably to stay there or to hit these really peak experiences that also have healed. But do I believe in the future? Do I believe in our children learning this stuff from a young age? Do I believe that over time as a species, we will evolve? and we will get better at this and this will become more and more powerful within us? Absolutely. I just look at us as a little bit like the caveman going through an enlightenment period. So I don't think it's going to be very common. It'll be the exception, not the rule for now. But over time, also as people see more people doing it, they'll also start to believe in it themselves, <laughs> which is going to be huge. When it's something very rare, it's not like people are really thinking about it. Like the first person that had a cell phone, or I remember getting my first email address. My dad, I was in kindergarten and he gave it to me and I was, I was on Prodigy. It wasn't even the internet as we know it today. And I was like, what do I do with it? And he's like, you can write people. And I was like, who do I write? And he was like, scientists. Like there's no one even there. Like there's no one to even talk to yet. Well, that's kind of like, there's no point to having it because it's so rare. That doesn't mean healings and there's no point to it. It just means it's just so new that it's easy to throw it under the rug or any of these people like the placebos that are having these weird effects. Thus far, we've been largely ignoring them instead of studying them to the degree that we've been studying the people that are ill. It's a lot like psychology versus positive psychology. People that are studying and how much research and how much information has gone into the people that are the outliers that are on the low end of the spectrum versus people that are on the exceptional end of the spectrum are changing our paradigms in the world. And it's very exciting. Now, we have gone into 17 directions. I didn't imagine. How are you feeling with the law of attraction right now? I had one other question. It goes all the way back to when you were talking about like you put the order in for the hamburger and then they start to make the hamburger. Do you believe that like anything is possible with the law of attraction? Like how come the crazy scientist who truly believes he's going to invent talking dogs doesn't actually invent talking dogs because he doesn't believe it strongly enough? Or is there like a cap to the law of attraction because it's impossible? Well, all right. So the guy I love, there's a guy that wants to make talking dogs. <laughs> well, like, you know, there's bad science. Like, say the guy who passionately believes the earth is flat and like he just can't even with everyone who says it's round and he has like all these beliefs and he's not faking. Like he truly believes that he'll never manifest proof. Okay. So you're saying could one person's idea change the world? Yeah. Well, in some ways that actually has happened. Look at Gandhi or Martin Luther King. They're actually really interesting examples, but like, yeah, to change a scientific truth based on their idea or their desire, 
That is so interesting. Like, I don't believe that the guy could actually suddenly make the world flat in and of himself. But let's say if he wants just proof, (laughs) I wonder if he could. Now, it's not going to, I don't know that it'll ever become proof, but I think he could probably manifest really compelling information that no one has ever considered before. That would make a very strong case, perhaps the strongest case ever, but it may not actually change the ultimate reality of the earth being flat. But let's look at a more, let's look at a really extreme example and, and really interesting too. I think he could probably find an opening if he was able to reach this like peak state that he thinks he would feel if he had that experience. I think he could find information or come to a realization that is so powerful and like very eye-opening for people that want to believe that too and that are attracting that kind of information that'll make them even more compelled than ever before. But I don't know that he's actually going to change the actual earth structure in and of itself because there's so many other people believing the opposite. Gotcha. There's so many other people believing that it's round and that are very invested in it being round. So I don't know that one guy's desire for it is going to outweigh the other 7 billion people's perception of that reality. But let's look at someone's personal desire. So could you give an example? I guess the guy with the talking dogs. You know how when you're a kid and you're like, I'm going to go into the woods today. Like literally, these are thoughts from my childhood. So again, I'm bearing my weirdness. I was like, I'm going to go into the woods and I'm not going to come back home until I find a monkey. I am going to look in every bush. And like I lived in New Jersey. There were not any monkeys. But I was like seven and I had my flashlight and I had a treat for the monkey because I was going to give the monkey a mango and like – I had a box to carry the monkey in. Like I believed it's like some kids believe that they're going to see a unicorn or like a mermaid. Like when I go to the beach, I'd be like, I'm keeping an eye out for mermaids. And like, I believed it. Yes. For anyone with children, turn this off right now. Okay. So Santa Claus, to your point. So I had this moment where I wanted to see, and I'm going to answer your question about monkeys in a second, but also to your point, I remember having a skylight near my window in my childhood home. There's a skylight and there's a kind of a roof outside of my window that I could see. And I kind of assumed that's where Santa would land. And I remember having the belief, I honestly felt, I told my dad about this later, that I saw red lights land on the roof and it was like Santa landed. I I created the memory of seeing the lights from Santa's sleigh landing on the roof. And he just like completely confirmed the story I was telling. But if you asked me and you put a lie detector test on me as a little kid, I would have accurately told the truth. Like I really believed that it happened. So was it true in my reality? Because you create your own reality. It was true to me. Was it factually true to my parents? No. But was it true to me, to the fact that I actually created a reality that included having lights on the roof and that Santa came? Yes. Does that make sense? Now for your monkey. So I actually kind of manifested Santa going on the roof in that it wasn't actually Santa, but in my life, and I have this memory that seemed accurate. Like I literally created my reality in that way. Just in that moment, I could still kind of have this in my head, like this idea of this red light reflecting off the skylight. Now with the monkey, did you ever find, or when you went out, I know you were obviously seeking for a live wild monkey from Africa. But let's look at it. You know, could you have found a stuffed animal? Could you have found an animal cracker that had a monkey on it? Like, it's very interesting that you had that monkey desire because 
something monkey related, I really bet if you did it long enough, maybe not on the first try, but long enough with as much expectation as you had, I wonder if something monkey related would have appeared in your life very quickly, relatively speaking, within the next week or two. Oh, that's funny. Because I was like, well, in, at work, there was a monkey that they brought to the office and we got to take our pictures with the monkey. So like 15 years later. <laughs> yeah. So you manifested it. You know what? For that, let's do a, like a really practical example that's like a little more like people's lives would be changed. So I remember watching Mimi Icon and Alex Icon, friends of mine, to have this vlog go on this beautiful hike in Scotland. And it took a few different days to climb. And I ended up getting so inspired years ago that I ended up spending like a day or two looking up all these different hikes in the US to do one similar to theirs. I really wanted to do it. It didn't flow. I didn't find one that's exactly like it because Scotland's got very unique hill climbing experiences. So two years later, I go on this journey, get the house gets sold, furniture sold. I meet this guy through the randomest of circumstances, who's an author, I get lunch with him or coffee with him before I leave on my trip. And he tells me to go to this Buddhist meditation retreat in Scotland. This is years after I decided I wanted to go on that hike. Okay, so I let go of the desire completely. I really looked for it, really wanted it, didn't find it, let it go. Two years later, I'm, you know, now on my little journey and I go to this meditation retreat. And guess what? It's hill climbing. And I ended up doing one of the sister hikes to Mimi and Alex's hike that they did. I did Ben Vorlich and they did Ben Lomond. So it was this ridiculous realization of like, whoa, I manifested that walk I wanted to do. It did not come out in the timeline or how I expected it. So that's one of the things you have to recognize is that when you start creating with your consciousness, how you expect the thing to show up in your life is not necessarily for you to decide. So how the monkey shows up in your life, like it showed up at office, right? So it did show up and it wasn't in the timeline and it wasn't how you expected, but it came. That's actually part of it. Because if you took the actions, you set the goal, you did the blog post and you made the money, that's a way to create that wealth. But you just did it with your kind of muggle life, right? Like you just like actioned your way through it. There's nothing magical about you taking action and getting a result. And that actually works, obviously. We see that all the time. But what's really fun about this is that you can literally just use the emotional state and then let go of the desire and allow it to show up in a way you couldn't expect or prepare. And I heard my intuition tell me that all the time, the words you won't be able to expect or prepare. And I got so annoyed until I listened to Joe Dispenza and he explained that it's because if you're creating with consciousness, not your actions, that is when it has to show up in a way you couldn't have done it through your actions knowingly. Does that make sense? Like, yes, you might walk through the door at the work that day, like you had to get to the job to have the monkey show up, but you didn't sign up to have the monkey come. You didn't actually pay the guy to do it. It just kind of came to you in a way you didn't expect or prepare. Oh, he sat on my head and I took a picture with him and I like had the picture in my cubicle for like a few years. There you go. But like you didn't decide, let's go get the monkey in the office today. You didn't actually pay the guy. You just like showed up one day and there's a monkey. So that's how creating with your consciousness is. It's unexpected. So I actually did this recently where I was writing to my, actually what I decided to do is try to write to someone else's intuition. I was getting a little crafty and I was like, I want to know what his intuition has to say about this subject. So I asked and then I was like, I have no idea if I heard that right or if I really heard from the right source. So I decided to make a sign kind of like you and the monkey. I decided I wanted to see a bluebird. Now I waited for a few weeks looking for this bluebird, thought it'd be on a menu or 
drawn somewhere or something, never saw it. And then one day on a cruise ship with Abraham Hicks, I got bored of the book I was reading. So all of a sudden, a book that someone had told me about like six months beforehand, I never read, came to my mind. So I decided, all right, I'll read that one now. So totally kind of inspiration hit to read that book. And as I was reading it and loving it so much, one of the pages started talking about the bluebird of happiness. And I was like, what? What is a bluebird of happiness? I started Googling it. And apparently bluebirds are like this universal symbol of like well-being and happiness and joy and all these good things. And the bluebird of happiness, it said, and of course, I was writing about a guy at the time that I wanted to know about if he was like my partner or something. And it said the bluebird of happiness means you have to not chase it. You have to let him come land on your shoulder when you're not going for it. Like you'll scare the bird away if you chase after the bird. You have to just be where you are in happiness and the bluebird will come land on your shoulder. And I was like, what? What the what? Like, this is so not how I expected to find the bluebird, but it was there plain as day in a way I never would have expected or prepared. I kept looking for a visual representation of a bluebird, never thought I'd read about it in a book, nor would I imagine that the book would have described the actual situation with the guy so perfectly to the situation I was actually writing about in the first place. So it's kind of one of those moments where I was pretty flabbergasted at how the universe worked in that moment. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, so let's look at something in your life, an aspect of your life you've never really had to work hard at, and it's always gone well. What would you think about? I don't know. What would I think about? What are my options? Like, are we talking about like work or romance or? Yeah, like what's something that you've never really had to stress about? Oh, God, I'm not good at any of that. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, I am sure. Like, you did say that the, the blog itself is kind of interesting. Now, you guys have put in some of the most work of any blog I've ever seen. But when you said that, like, people came to you, you didn't even try, right? Yeah, the beginning growth of the blog is probably an example of something that exploded in such a surprising way. It almost scared us away from it because it was so shocking to go from, like, talking to nobody to talking to a whole bunch of people that we didn't know. Okay, let's talk about that. All right, so you started the blog. How are you feeling? Now, we're just going to talk about your feel. And this is actually great because, listen, think about how many people are listening to this right now that are, like, wanting some version of online success like you guys had in the beginning, okay? So <laughs> they're all like, how did she do it? Well, let's look at this from a law of attraction perspective. One of the things you can also say is, like you pointed out, a lot of people were wanting what you ended up offering. Like your message was the right place at the right time for a lot of people, which I think accelerates growth, right? When a lot of people are wanting something, they're wanting to feel uplifted, they're wanting to feel inspired, they're wanting to feel like they have new ideas to do for their own home, you're giving them hope, right? So it's not even just you guys and your feelings, though you were the catalyst and you were the vehicle for all of this. A lot of other people were wanting what you guys were sharing too. But let's look at you and your feelings. What cheeseburger emotions, if you will, were you guys creating just as you were focusing in the beginning stages of the blog? How were you feeling about it? We always describe it as like it was really novel and fun because there was no expectation. So like we didn't ever feel stress. We didn't ever feel obligation. We didn't ever feel creatively burnt out by it. It was like our fun thing to do after work. So to us, it was like a release. And uh, we every night we switched off. So John would write something in the evening after work on Monday night. And then I would write something in the evening after work on Tuesday night. And it usually included like one or two tiny, terrible photos. <laughs> like we weren't frustrated by coding or 
it wasn't hard. Like we just did it for fun. And so there was no pressure, I guess. And I think that's how we like things to feel because that's when we started our podcast, we did it because we were chasing that fun feeling of starting the blog, which was like not having a regimented schedule, not feeling super like expectation-y about it. Like we just were like, we could record three and never release them. Like they might suck. We might hate the sound of our voice. We might have nothing to talk about. Like we wanted to create this like free of pressure and fear scenario. So we were like, we're just going to do it for fun. All right. Now think about how did that physically feel? If you had to put emotions to that, it felt fun. It felt novel. How else would you describe the feelings? I think we felt like it was a creative outlet. Like we liked the action of taking the pictures. It was like new energy, like picking up any new hobby that you're really excited about in the beginning, how it's like shiny and not even shiny. It's like, you know, when you're like early dating someone and everything is like rainbows, it was like that. It was like very glowy and happy, you know? Okay. That's the emotion. Now, most people that are starting a blog right now and they're trying to get where you got, how do you think they're feeling as they're raking their blog posts and they're aware that they're not there yet? They're aware that they're not there yet. They're aware that they're not there yet. What is the feeling they're making with their cheeseburger order? I think a lot of people right now are just frustrated because they know where they could go. I always try to describe it as like nobody was making money with blogs when we started. Nobody. Nobody knew that you could have sponsors. Sponsors didn't know they could sponsor. Like brands didn't care about blogs. They ignored blogs. Magazines ignored blogs. Like nobody... When we were in a magazine, they didn't say because we had a blog. Like, nobody cared about that stuff. It was like this weird little thing that hadn't, like, hit mainstream yet. And I think now that it mainstreamed, it's probably a lot harder to be happy and glowy because there's so many people with these, like, monster followings and they've already gained success and you feel like you're lost and no one will ever find you. So they're basically aware of what they don't want and they're vibrating at the level of what they don't want. I don't want this small following. I don't want this small following. Why do they have it? Why am I not there yet? Why? How do I going to compete with them if I have only this, right? You came from one of the highest emotions possible. So the good feeling emotions have a higher frequency and have a higher power overall. Lower frequencies like depression have very little energy. So anger has more energy than depression, but higher emotions have higher powers. You were coming, honestly, we haven't said that word, but you came from love. You even described it as a love experience, like dating in the beginning, the lovey-dovey feelings. You came from a pure place of loving, okay? One of the highest emotions you could have. That's pretty funny because the original name of the blog was This Young House, and then we had to change it for reasons of copyrights, and we put love in it. We said Young House Love. Because we were like, it's a passion. Yeah, so you loved it and it didn't matter. You weren't doing it because of the outcome of the followers. You are doing it because it felt good. And out of the highest frequency you could choose, which was love, the results matched that frequency. When people want the outcome and they decide they will only feel good, they'll only feel the love for what they're doing when everybody loves them and they're all following them and they're all getting the money from them, they're feeling the lack of love every step of the way, waiting to feel the love, waiting to feel the love, waiting to feel the love until the outcome comes. Does that make sense? You get what you feel about. So if you feel the lack, you get more lack. Right, because we didn't even know what to be. It was like blissfully ignorant that we didn't know what it could be. It was easier then. You had it easier. Not that they can't do the same, but you had it easier because you weren't comparing to what you didn't have that others did. Totally. Okay, 
So this hopefully will explain to people that though the landscape has changed, the principle of the fact that you purely came from love remains the same. I've done that with my show the entire time. When I started this, I didn't do any sponsors, even though I could have had sponsors within the first year, because I refused to change, even though I was spending 20 hours of my day on top of my other full-time business to do it, I refused to shift it until it was making a level of income that felt worth it to add. I didn't want to detract from the listener experience. And now I've actually found sponsors can be a huge addition. Everyone's asking me for my discount codes because they love what I'm sharing because I only share what I love when it comes to that. But it was a huge, and it remains to be a huge passion project. And if I don't like a sponsor or I don't like their talking points they're making me, if they try to put restrictions on me, I won't do it. Like I literally, and I think people know this about me, they can sense this. I only do the things I do for the work for love. I only want to. It's only worth it. And out of that, I have all the abundance I want. I feel abundant, but also I came from the frequency of the love of it. So I never felt the lack of where it's at to where it could be because I'm always filled up from where it is. Now, it wasn't always the case for my blogging career. I was much more thirsty feeling for the growth. But when it came to the show. And after that period, I really dialed into the love and just sought that. Now, how do you guys feel about it now? Because you guys obviously had those lovey-dovey feelings in the beginning. Then you had the mammoth audience. Well, I think it was hard because it was all the things I described it as in the beginning flipped. So like that where we had no obligation, it was a creative outlet. We had felt no pressure. We suddenly were supporting a family. We had two children. There were people, you know, the post went up at 10.03 instead of 10 o'clock saying, where is the post? This is your job, you know? And it, I don't want to put it on other people because you can decide how stressed to be from external forces, but we were not very good at not driving ourselves too hard. So we'd be on vacation working. We We'd, you know, I think we put a lot of things on hold that we wanted to do, like travel-wise and stuff with our family. And then when we took our big break, our friends would say things to us like, oh my gosh, you're a different person. Like you're not staring at your phone and you're like engaged and talking and your eyes are like flickering with excitement again. And it made me feel so bad because I was like, were we zombies before? <laughs> like, Actually, let's go into that. Would you be open to talking? I know this is going to be interesting. Would you be open to talking about law of attraction in how your audience and how possibly there was a reciprocal nature there that out of your trying to make everybody happy, they just got more and more picky because they knew that they could because they knew you would bend over backwards for their requests? Because I've noticed how insanely connected you are. And I am like the opposite of you in that or the, how you used to be with your audience. I barely look at Instagram, barely like reply to things. I'm getting a little bit better about it, but I only do it when it comes from a feeling of want to do. But I have like zero obligation. But my audience is so self-sufficient if that makes sense. Like they don't put a lot of expectations on me because I, they kind of know I'm going to reject them. <laughs> like I'm just, if it's not in my alignment, I'm not going to. So out of that, I have a friend here in Australia who knows my audience as well. And some of my audience follows her. And she said the same thing. The people that follow me are the easiest people that she knows because she's cultivated. And this is for her. So I'm going to speak to a friend that's not you, but she said she wanted people to like her so much that she catered to like, you know, cultivating this like intimate connection and all this stuff. And then she's trying to phase into something new. And she's like finding all these like people that are like broken hearted and they're like emailing her these long emails. And like she has to deal with all this stuff. And I was like, whoa, I would never deal with that. 
but I also don't have people that put that upon me. But I think that's my law of attraction. I assume people are going to be self-sufficient and fine, and I show up with the show. I put my whole heart into this and the classes that I teach, but I don't expect myself to have to perform to any other things than what I choose. What do you think about your situation and how it was? Well, I was going to say that I think people can feel where you're coming from passion and where you're struggling. And so I think people reading genuinely could sense some people as the years went on that we were feeling more like less creative spark, more fear of putting food on the table for the family. You know, like you could feel the shift and we were like desperately trying to do the same thing because the same thing is what worked. But then we really creatively wanted to be doing different things and experimenting. But like we felt like, oh, but the audience likes the same thing. And so it almost felt like, duh, of course they can see that we're not coming from a place of passion. So of course they're less excited about where things are going. And in hindsight, a lot of people were like, yeah, I wish it was like in the early days when there weren't like all the disclaimers and the you know, like the long-winded explanations. And it was like, I just think it got over time to that place because like you were saying, A, we got a lot of feedback and I think we're people pleasers. So we were like, oh, if the feedback is you can't just do a few paragraphs in a picture anymore, even though that like when that was my full-time job, that's what I did. And it was fine and it was magical and it was love-filled and that was all it was. Right, but I think like blogging was changing and there were these big brands with like photographers and stylists, like there were teams. Blogging turned into like a lot of teams in the home realm, at least. So there were like a lot of people, multiple authors for a blog and lots of people styling and shooting projects. There were like what people were calling contributors, which was like other bloggers submitting content. I had a realization. Oh, do you want to tell me? Well, yeah. Okay. You just said it earlier. I think that what I noticed or perceived, it's just perceived from the situation you were in was how you guys welcomed the feedback. But in that, then everybody was like, we're going to give you some feedback and they're going to give you so much criticism and help some helpful and some not helpful. But they knew you were so open to receiving it that it probably, I would guess, to me, it would have felt overwhelming and also really like taking all the love out of it for me because I'd feel constantly like judged by what I was sharing because of all the feedback. How do you feel about that? Yeah, the best way I could describe it is John and I tried to talk about how to put it into words because it's really impossible to explain how like thousands of people can tell. And like the internet doesn't agree. Like the internet doesn't agree on a paint color. Neither does a family agree. So how could an internet agree? Right. They can't agree on what your house should look like, even though it's your house. Like the internet will never agree. We never shared anything that everyone unanimously agreed upon. And we, we like knew that and it was fine. But the way I describe it is like over time, it was harder to hear our own voices the loudest. So like in the earlier years, it was easy to say like, I know this yellow color isn't everyone's cup of tea, but we liked it. And there was less feedback. It wasn't like, well, you should not like it because I don't like it. It was kind of like, it's your house. We get it, you know? Yeah. And it became everybody's house. Right. That's what I think. It was like all of us, we all were designing the house. And then I was like, it wasn't my voice the loudest. It was like almost like, well, everyone can tell me what I should do. And I was like, okay, this is my job. Maybe I should listen to them, you know? And you were paying more attention to what they wanted than what you wanted, which took your joy and love out of it, which changed the feelings you had as a result. Yeah. I think it was like a lot more from a place of fear than from a place of excitement because we were like oh my gosh, what if everyone just disappears? Like John had left his full-time job and we had two children. And like, what if blogs just implode? And like, how are we going to pay the bills, you know? 
Yes, absolutely. I think it was the most beautiful thing you guys did, which was took the pressure you were feeling, the negative feelings off yourself by getting out of it for a while and taking a break. Like you said, and you got your spark back, you got your joy back, you reclaimed your voice, and you really shifted your focus from everybody else's opinions, which were besieging you at that point. And the more you became aware of them, the more they showed up because law of attraction was just reacting to where your attention and energy was going and emotions. But as you pulled all of that back into yourselves, you regained your own balance and focus on what you wanted to focus on, not the feedback of what they wanted you to focus on. So it's the most powerful thing you possibly could have done. And Ultimately, you feel better, but have you seen any positive shifts again, having made that shift back to your own heart and back to your own love that has ultimately also brought better results in some ways because of it? I think yes, because we don't feel like we're in like a hamster wheel anymore. We still try to be pretty regular. You know, we put out a podcast every week. We usually write a post every week too. We're on Instagram almost every day, but it feels a lot more manageable, I think. You know, when I think back to like, we were doing two posts a day at one point (laughs) and I'm like, what is going on, you know? (laughs) So now I'm like one post a week, one podcast a week. Another thing that we've intentionally done, I think too, because we're people who are like pressury people pleasers. We just like I feel like that's who I am. You might say like I can focus on things and change that, but like my entire life that's just been who I am. So the way that I safeguard that is I make sure that all the eggs are not in one basket. So like I have side jobs that I do, copywriting and naming and even more random things like house staging. And John has side jobs that he does that have nothing to do with the blog. They're consulting, they're advertising stuff. He has an agency locally that he used to work for that hires him occasionally. So I think it's nice because when we start to hear that like internal voice that's like, we need to give more to our followers because they're going to get bored or they're going to leave us, then we can say like, shut up internal voice because there are like a lot of other things we have to be doing and we can't be like spiraling and freaking out about this thing that like might happen someday. We just have to feel like we have a lot of eggs in a lot of baskets. So because it was like panicking for no reason. Yeah. When you were saying this about the two kids and stuff, like those are all stories people tell. But I was actually betting that nothing bad ever even close happened to you guys financially or any of the stories that the brain was telling about what could happen. Well, the funniest part is when we stepped away, we were like, it's going to crash and burn. By being quiet for a year on a website we used to update every day, that's like putting a match under something you built for seven years and just like laughing while it burns, you know? Like it was like a a maniacal decision, you know? It was like you couldn't describe it as a good business decision from any angle. But yet to us now in hindsight, as soon as we did that and it didn't all crumble, like we realized, oh, still people who follow us on Instagram. And like, oh, there's still people who are buying our books. And like, oh, there's still even a brand. Home Depot picked up our hardware And we had to say, like, you guys know that we stopped blogging, right? (laughs) Because it was, like, in the break. And we felt weird, like, uh, full disclosure, we're, like, in the act of burning down the house right now, you know? (laughs) Yeah, but you still felt better. So it wasn't even the thought of that. Here's an interesting thing. Again, why feelings are more important than thoughts. So you had the thought, like, this is all going to go to hell in a handbasket. But you're feeling so much more relief, right? You're feeling so much more free. Oh, yeah. Immediately. It was like the day later, my friends were like, you're a different person. I was like, it has been 24 hours. (laughs) Yes. So when you change that point of attraction, the outcomes matched your feelings, not your thoughts. Even though you expected it to go terrible, you are feeling so much better. It didn't go as terrible as you thought it would. Totally. Yeah. 
I always describe it as like we were willing for that to happen. Like to us, to live a life that was happy was more important than like chasing followers or chasing the money. And that's why, you know, like you don't step away from your blog for a year because you want hits and money because like that's the dumbest move you can make. And I think the second we in our brains made that decision, like we are no longer chasing followers and page views and all the like analytics and coins. We were chasing peaceful happiness, designing with our voices, being the loudest so we can love our home and just do what we want. And like even side jobs where you have one boss, I can't tell you how amazing it was to have one person telling us what they needed, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Versus what you've dealt with, which is like basically being kind of the president. Like you had so many opinions on what you should do versus, yeah, one person to communicate with. I just felt like I can give you exactly what you want, one person asking me this one thing, because like, if I give it back to you and you don't like it, I can revise it and like, we can get there together, you know, whereas like crowdsourced house decorating is like really hard. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds not like what I would want to deal with. I commend you so much. And I love that you guys ultimately did, if you think about it, unknowingly realize the power of your emotion being most important. And you took the pressure off because really what I see of the whole arc now that we've talked it out was there was no expectation, positive feelings, great results, total expectation on myself to provide and also all these expectations from other people (laughs) on what they think I should do. And then those expectations of what the outcome would be with the money and the stuff to support yourself. Then you felt terrible in that scenario. So then you withdrew all the expectations again. Like you said, you just went back to your own good feelings in what would make you feel the most relief and ease in your life. And then you've brought that new feeling of ease and focus on yourself back to the product, to the blog and the podcast in this way. So now you, again, like the beginning, match the feelings you want to have, only now you have a following at the same time. Yes. And you know, it's funny how you were talking about your friend and she was saying like everyone's like really emotionally invested and she gets these long letters. I think the people we connect with are still emotionally invested, but something about the break was like very healthy for everyone, I think, (laughs) because a lot of people are like, oh yeah, like I miss seeing your kids, but I get it. It's like your life. I'm not going to like make you show your kids. You know, like I just feel like the boundary was like reset and people understand that like if we're decorating, of course, we welcome all the decorating feedback. But the bigger things that we used to hear about, like how we should live and parent and, you know, like general life pressure feels relieved. And I think it's because it's not on the table. Like we're not talking about our kids and we're not talking about our marriage and our life. In a way, it feels like we've just focused really deeply and still have this deep connection about home stuff, but it's kind of like that's what we're talking about. It's like a deeper connection on that one topic, but then the other topics are not on the table because they're like just ours. When you would post something that was really personal like that, would you have any feelings of fear about what the feedback was going to be? I think so. It was mostly like I hated that I couldn't just write. There was like anyone who's been a blogger really long will tell you this is you used to be able to just write something stupid and just push publish. And It felt like it got to this place where you had to have all these disclaimers, like by joking about blah, it does not mean I'm disparaging blah in any way. You know what I mean? Like you used to just be able to be like very casual and stupid. And now people are like, or not even now, because I don't feel it now, but like towards the end of when we were feeling too much pressure, it was like, even just a stupid post, people are like, this is your job. Why is this post so stupid? I'm like, oh, uh." exactly. But here's the thing. 
So you, I would say, you create your own reality. So as you were aware and fearing it, you were getting more of it. Does that make sense? Probably. Yeah. I think it was very like I was coming from such a place of like people pleasing and nervousness and like people could probably sense that I was like the kitten that they could shake <laughs> and like they could threaten and say like, if you don't do more of this, I'm leaving. And I'd be like, well, okay. <laughs> yeah. But you could totally change that. You did change that. And they react differently to you now as well. Like you just said, they said, we get it. We understand why you're not sharing your kids. Yeah. Well, I think the nice thing too is that now I don't have to be the kitten who's like, well, I'm so sorry because I just am like, oop, gotta go. I got this job. Like I forced for anyone listening, I guess even beyond like positive feelings, because I, I love what we're talking about. But I also just feel like I've created like a program for myself that works by being busier in other ways. Like I can't obsess over Instagram comments or what people think of me all day because I have other jobs. I have the kids. Like I, I focus a lot less on like my internet persona. And I think it's like really healthy for me. You know, I'm not like chewing on it and worrying about it. Okay, so there. Now, I love that. So what you're also saying is your thoughts are not directed solely to the internet. And also, therefore, because you have all these other things, you're emoting based on so many other things than the internet, right? Right. Like I'm looking at myself as more than that. Yeah, you're directing your thoughts to other areas where before it was maybe more focused on this. And therefore, your emotions are no longer so centered on this. But I still would say that your thoughts, your energy and energy being emotion in motion, like emotion, energy in motion is emotion that is going other directions. So you're getting it filled up from other directions. It still comes back. So I love what you just said. It's like one of the ways to take resistance and pressure off is, yeah, focus on other things. That's actually one of the most basic elements of when you're trying to learn how to use law of attraction. It's like, what do I do? And I got a lot of resistance in this one area. Do something else. Think about something else. Because if you're thinking other things, you're going to make a cheeseburger based on those other things. You're going to have different emotions based on the other thoughts and the other focuses that you're you're having. So if to go back to our millionaire example, people are feeling broke and they're like, whoa, this is, you know, not where I want to feel, then go feel about your cat. Go focus on other aspects and shore up the positive feelings. And as you do, we can, this will be later, like another concept to talk about in another show, is then to then find the inspired action from that aligned place. But you have to get into the aligned feeling or the best feeling you can get in that moment to figure out what that next best step will be. But yeah, I love what you said. It's just basically, yeah, think about other things and feel about other things than the one that's causing you a lot of trouble. I like it. But then how do I find my inspired action? You're leaving me hanging. <laughs> well, basically, get yourself filled up. Have you ever done this where you get really happy? You guys are doing something and it may not be related to the house at all, but you get really happy. The kids do something really cute and you feel just great. Do you ever just get the inspiration? Something shows up in your mind. And you're like, whoa, I want to go make marshmallow s'mores right now or I want to go write a post about this. Did you ever have those like little moments where something just pops in your head and it just sounds like the best idea ever? Yeah. Yeah. That's an inspired action. That's it? Okay. Then I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're doing it because you found a way to get alignment, which is the word about feeling good. So you found a way to focus on things that feel good or that you think good thoughts about. They're easy to have good thoughts about. You're focusing on all these other things, how easy it is to work with your, your boss on this one project, how great your kids are, how great your life is now. And then out of that, 
you feel all these good feelings and then the next thing you want to do, what's the most fun thing I can do right now? Now, when you started the blog in the beginning, that was the inspired action. I want to go write about this on the blog. Like it was one of the inspired actions. Over time, it did not feel inspired as you got to the point right before the break. But in the beginning, those actions that were inspired from your alignment and love of it was actually to do things and share things. And now it is again, but it's not only in that area for you, you. Now it's got many areas. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Because now I'm like, oh, I can't wait to complain about this on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. So if you go, yeah, let's go talk about that. That's the good idea. So you're trying to find, basically, your ideas are going to match the frequency that you're at. So if you're at a great state or as good as you can get in that moment. We don't have to like put yourself in like some frantic mode to try to, you know, be euphoric every day. But when you get as happy as you can given your circumstances in that moment, basically reach for the best feeling thought, which will create the best feeling emotion, then see what feels like the next best step to take. If anyone's been like super thirsty in a dating scenario and then they like take an action from feeling like a lot of loneliness or a lot of upsetness, usually in relationships it's not the best thing to do is to act out of the impulse that's coming from a really angry, upset, or fearful place. Same with your boss. If they send an email out that you're like, whoa, really triggered by, like not usually your first email response back to them immediately is the one that's best to send, right? It's about getting back into your alignment, getting back into your emotional state of well-being, and then finding from that better feeling place what the action that feels the best, which basically just matches that feeling is, because the better it gets, the better it gets, the worse it gets, the worse it gets. So whatever your state of feeling is, is going to be the only, generally speaking, typically, unless you're writing to your intuition, unless you're doing any of that dialogue where you're able to leap out, you're usually going to only have inspiration to do things most of the time from the ego perspective that matches that low vibe place. So you want to try to get to a great feeling place or as much as well-being as you can, and then take the next action from there and watch what happens. So how do you feel about the law of attraction now? I've been a person who's always been like, I got to just focus on the good stuff. Like when you say the worse it gets, the worse it gets, I've been in that spiral where like it's really hard. It feels harder to get back to the happy place than when you're just maintaining at the happy place. And so I th- I think I've tried over the years, especially since I've been a parent, to try to stay as like positive as I can because I also want to raise little positive rays of light in the world that are, you know, like happy and not victims. Oh, I love it. Yes. And showing them that they create their own reality is the best thing you can do. Now, are they creating ultimate reality? Like, okay, going back to Mr. Flat World. (laughs) So like they can create their own reality, but they cannot create in the reality of another because it's law of attraction is happening for everyone. So yeah, showing them that they create the reality for themselves. So no one else can create their own reality. Like if they are able to focus and feel how they want to feel often before the manifestation. So if they can feel abundant, like the millionaire example, if they can feel all the ease and abundance and flow in the world, their financial state, if they have no resistance to it at some lower level they're not consciously focused on right now, but isn't there, then they'll it'll come, it'll flow to them. They won't have to struggle if they don't have the belief that they need to. So that's the beauty. So Mr. Flat World could probably find, if you got really aligned, information that would at least, just like me and the Santa Claus, convince himself the world's flat. 
because he'll create his own level of reality. Is he going to change the external reality? No. It's just like John. Like if John's really happy and you're really sad, he can't change your emotions. He can try to do things that might manipulate your emotions and make you laugh or something like that. But if you have, has he ever tried to make you happy and you're like, no, I am not going to be happy right now, no matter how hard you try. He can't actually force you to think differently or feel differently as much as he might have a good intention to try. You create your own reality. The same with the kids. Jess, that's with kids too. Because when they're grouchy, it's like no amount of mommy tricks. I mean, especially as they get older, it's like they see right through it. And I just have to wait for them to get over it. Like uh, mommy can't dance anymore in the kitchen and they're all happy if something bad happened. Like they just need to process it and I need to listen and understand and be there for them. But like I can't be happy for them. No, you can't. But what you can do is be in alignment for yourself. So getting happy for yourself. You know what Abraham says about that is like, Mommy needs to go to the timeout, not the kids. (laughs) The parents put the kids in the timeout. They're like, really? No, the mom needs to leave and go get happy again and then come back. (laughs) Yeah, I need like a hot shower. Maybe I get a hot tea, like something, a hot tub. These are all hot. We're seeing a theme. Something relaxing happens to mom. Yeah. And then the kids are fine. Yeah, then they'll process what they need to and release it versus shoving it down or trying to change where they're at faster than they're able because then they shove it down and they aren't even aware. In the long-term times, like I said, I got the woman that was in the class. She goes, I always assumed I was a pretty happy person. And then I got aligned and I was like, whoa, what have I been living this whole life that I've been calling happiness? Because like, it's just like colors. Like we all don't really know that we're seeing the same colors for sure. If you ever, when you're little, you're like, how do we know that we're both seeing blue the same way? Like we don't really know. We just think we do. I mean, there's that blue and gold dress that everyone crazy about. Yeah, right. Exactly. So like there's that. So it's also the same with emotions. What we're calling emotions, like one person's version of depressed might be a very different feeling to someone else's version of depressed. The same could be true for the positives. We all just kind of generally think we have a similar understanding. But it even is really confronting sometimes when we find that our own emotional awareness as a society at this moment is not nearly as adept as I think it will be as we become more aware of our consciousness and the ability to control our thoughts and our emotions deliberately before things happen. And also you can like teach your kids, yeah, that they don't have to just wait to feel happy for Christmas, that they don't have to wait to feel happy for things when the things happen. Because that's the thing I've been trying to undo in myself is the idea that we must reverse the evidence of the senses, that by being happy, good things happen versus by waiting for good things to happen in order to be happy. Like we're taught to like wait for all these things and be excited then, then when this happens, when this happens, I'll be happy instead of recognizing by being happy now, those things will come shorter, faster and easier to us. That's the very simple version of this. And the great thing is you don't even need to know about the law of attraction. You're using it because it's, we don't, you don't have to like teach someone gravity and like give them gravity classes when they're a kid. Like you didn't teach your kids gravity. They just are experiencing it because it's a part of our world and universe. The same is true with this. It's just something weirdly that we haven't had much focus on as a society because I think it's just so tricky to really understand what someone sustainably emoting at for long enough to see the results of it. They're easily able to be oblivious to what's probably truly going on deeper within. But 
it's changing. And as people get more focused on it, things get clearer and faster and easier to see. But in the beginning, people's vibrations and thoughts are so mixed up. Like every second they're having a different feeling or a different thought based on something different. So they're kind of getting a mismatch and a wishy-washy result mix. But as you get clearer and more consistent in the positive direction or the negative, you see things more consistently and clearly show up in one direction or the other. So. Yeah. Thank you for chatting with me. This was amazing. And I hope has benefited those that have heard of the law of attraction before, or even those that are new or kind of skeptical to it. Hopefully it gives you guys something to ponder. And also, of course, just observe it in your own life. See what shows up for you and see if this proves true for you. And be open to recognizing. I think in the beginning, it's a bit like choppy waters. When you get waves closer to the beach, the waves get more organized and you kind of see them come in one at a time. But if you're out in the ocean in the middle, it's like just a bunch of waves going all different directions usually. So those mixes of vibration as you're getting started can feel so confusing that it's not really ordered and it's not really directly easy to see. But at the same time, that's not always the case. Sometimes it is a quick reminder will show up right in your life right away. The monkey took a while, but I'll wait. Yeah, you got there, right? And the Scotland hike for me too. The nice thing is for both of us, we didn't stop ourselves from the happiness in the meantime, right? We didn't go, oh, I can't be happy till I see the monkey and I can't be happy till I get to Scotland. But it was a beautiful manifestation that showed up just differently than how I expected and when. Same for you. I love that. So have fun using this. I want to hear if anything shows up in your life that surprises you. And now you realize, yeah, your feelings are the most important thing. Try focusing as much as you can on that first before anything else that you want to happen and see what shows up for you. Thank you, Jess. And there you have it. Sherry, thank you so much for coming on the show again. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to send Sherry a message, you can do so over on Instagram at younghouselove. And if you want to find me over on Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter, you can find me at Jess C, as in cactus, lively. For show notes for this episode, head over to jesslively.com slash Sherry Petersick. Before I share what I'm up to next in my life, I'd like to share about today's sponsor, FreshBooks.com. FreshBooks is bookkeeping software for creatives and business owners. And just basically, if you have a business and you need to do the bookkeeping and you want to enjoy it, if you want to like it, if you want to find bookkeeping aligning, I dare say that's actually possible through FreshBooks. That's how I felt about this product. I used to hate my bookkeeping. I used to hate doing it, but they have made it so beautiful, simple, and easy to use for myself and my bookkeeper and everyone else that needs to be involved It's just really well done and I highly recommend it. And like I've always said before, it's kind of like Instagram or your favorite social media platform for bookkeeping. You also have a mobile app and so much more. So if you wanna use a bookkeeping software you actually enjoy and find aligning, I'd highly recommend trying this with their free 30-day trial. Head over to freshbooks.com slash lively to give this a shot. I hope you love it as much as I do. Now for what I'm up to next, I have been working, of course, on decorating as always. A new coffee table is on its way. And then at the end of March, I have a console table as well. But really what is now flowing into my life is a very new project that I've been keeping under wraps for the time being, but it's getting closer and closer to being ready to be shared with you. It's happening this June in Sydney, and I am so excited because it's going to be something that is in person this time. No longer is it just an online experience now. So when I have more to share, I'll be sure to let you guys know all about it. But just so you know, I'm focused on something in June in Sydney, and it's truly been one of the most aligning experiences so far for me in 2018. Until next week, may something wonderful happen to you today.